I am Sergio Brodsky, and I'm a brand and foresight strategist. And I'm Jazz Giuliani, the editor of Marketing Mag. Welcome to Futurecast, the podcast where we talk with professional futurists, renowned academics, and high-profile business leaders from around the world. In this series, we think about the future so that we can meaningfully change the present. The time is now. Join us for better futures. Welcome back to Futurecast. Today we have with us Bridget Engler, who is a futurist, a senior lecturer in strategic design, foresight, entrepreneurship and innovation. Thank you, Bridget, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. So, Bridget, you describe yourself as a pracademic, and I hope I said that right, or a practicing academic, and you've worked across and taught strategic design and foresight and entrepreneurship and all those things that I mentioned earlier. I would say this isn't necessarily a a conventional career path. Well, some people might see it that way. So I'm just curious about how you, you came to be an expert in these areas or this almost intersection of areas and what came first, the academic or the industry practice? Oh, well, it's a really good question. Uh, it's a meandering path and I basically stumbled my way to foresight. So whether it was intuition or something that I was making sense of during my non-career uh, I found my way to a foresight program um, and completed a master's in strategic foresight at Swinburne. Uh, the reason I emphasize that is because it, my career, so to speak, before that was a very varied pathway. I worked as a copywriter. I went into brand strategy. I spent a lot of my life naming things and I really enjoyed all of that work. Uh, but it was a brief for a product uh, when I was uh, consulting with a a design agency that was off the back of a a foresight process that made me start to ask better questions. And so I ended up uh, at at Swinburne doing a a master's and now I'm in the right room. This This is the space I'm meant to be in. But prior to that, I was definitely an academic. I was a nerdy type. Uh, I studied things like ancient Greek and Latin at school and um, thought, well, maybe I'll use them. They were pretty handy when it came to naming stuff, as were a bunch of other languages. But my pathway to foresight was pretty much what you described, an intersection. And I'm delighted that I can bring together a whole lot of different things into both my professional practice, uh, as I do a lot of work with industry, uh, both as an academic researcher or a practitioner, as well as as more of a consultant, I suppose. Uh, And I enjoy the challenge of working in academia uh, because you get to... You get to share uh, the, 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 the problematic nature of foresight work, but also the questioning and the, the interrogation. There's nuances around foresight that are better placed if you can bring experience to uh, the work that you're doing. So uh, I think that I'm, I'm lucky to be in an institution that supports innovation and is all about entrepreneurship and innovation. So it almost sounds like, it, it, you know, you, you mentioned before about foresight and no, being um, learning to ask better questions, and it's almost a curiosity in a sense that that drives that an innate curiosity. Curiosity is is a, a key driver in so many things, whether it be design and innovation, 
or just wanting to know more about the world that we're in and the possibilities that from, emerge from that, as well as the possibilities within ourselves. But we kind of get curiosity kicked out of us uh, as, as part of our formal education. And maintaining that curiosity is, again, part of what I think is the, the rigour of, of being a foresight practitioner, that we are constantly seeking to ask better questions. And as a, a colleague, Stuart Candy, has put, it's, it's about having a better conversation, having a higher, com- higher level conversation as much as it is about the, the practice of the foresight and the tools and methods. Uh, and I often say to my students, you're looking to ask a better question. And, and even when I'm, I'm teaching something like strategic design and we're looking at you know, what is the problem that we need to solve, what are the bigger challenges, what are the systems issues that we're dealing with, it always comes back to just ask a better question. But it, it can take weeks to get to the better question. And to ask a better question, you first need to ask all the bad, wrong, silly questions, right? We need to make mistakes to learn. And it's something that you make very, very clear on the article that we, we co-wrote where basically you say that foresight is a contact sport, right? You have to be there, you have to be in the field, you have to do it, you know, just just uh, asking a few questions or taking a seminar or reading a couple of books is not enough. And uh, with that in mind, what were some of the biggest mistakes that you've made both as a practitioner and an academic in regards to foresight? And most importantly, what did you learn from that? Okay, that's a, such a fantastic question. Uh, the first was... Um, finishing my degree and not being able to call myself a futurist or a practicing futurist. It was a hesitation on my behalf because I wasn't sure that it was a hat that I could wear. I didn't think that it was a, a, a term that was understood. Uh, and what I began to learn was I, it's it's like anything, I can make that mean something depending on how I deploy my knowledge, my skills and, and the tools of, of trade, I suppose. Uh, so I learned very slowly to wear that hat, but I was very happy to jump in and actually do the work and learn more from the practice of doing the work after I graduated. But it's also the mistakes I made along the way in other parts of my career uh, and and not so much the you know, I worked in retail for a long time and and wondered you know is this what I'm going to be doing forever? It wasn't it wasn't those sort of mistakes. It was learning about people by working with them and asking the wrong questions about people when they were trying to buy something. Um, it was about working on projects uh, at, a, at a brand level and thinking as a 24, 25-year-old that we had all the hot ideas and all of the hotshot answers and then realising simply by having a conversation with someone who had a lot more experience and knowledge about the things that we were working on that we were just completely off the mark. I also have learnt to juggle practice with theory sometimes it's it's all too easy to go in and bamboozle people with big words and and big theories when actually they want the simple terminology they don't want to be as some of a student a few years ago was given an article which is a fantastic article but described it as like swimming through pea soup and academia can be like that so I think the the lessons learned are about working with what you have in front of you and working with the people around you and acknowledging that that is not always the, the part of the world that you're, you're going to be working with. There are going to be different aspects of different worlds that you need to understand and, and work with. Other mistakes, jumping to conclusions, um, falling in love with a tool or a method. I definitely have my favourites, but falling in love with a tool or method so quickly that you 
don't learn its deficiencies or its weaknesses. You don't learn to be more elegant in the way you use things. You don't you don't learn to mash up stuff. Uh, and and something that I'm seeing a lot in foresight practice and and the, the rigor of future studies, so the more academic discipline, is more evolution of of the traditional tried, true, tested methods, so to speak. And it, it being a challenge for practitioners to say, oh, you know, I don't like that. Oh, you know, that's really different. Do we need to have that? Um, so I think my, my, my the short answer to that question is having a closed mind. Uh, the biggest mistake is having a closed mind and not being able to adjust to things as they, they come through. I was once told, I think by Joseph Voros, uh, the, the, the guy who is behind the infamous futures cone, uh, that I needed to have a perspective and hold it lightly and be allow myself to move and my own position in the world to shift as, I, as it needed to, to accommodate others and also to be able to view things as best I can from, from different perspectives. And I think it was the Polak game that allowed me to really experience that. But it's also the big lesson, as I said, it's, it's it be having a closed mind saying no too often, not taking opportunities. So I suppose maybe if I reflect on what I was saying before about my career kind of pathway, um, I took opportunities as they came up because they seemed interesting. And I had lots of really good mentors around me who encouraged me to explore different things, both within brand and design, as well as in foresight. And so having that openness two things coming through and this is not just about the open will open heart open mind principles of, of theory you it is really being open to things as, as they emerge at, at, a, at an everyday level uh, and I suppose that is a not a deliberate segue into foresight but it's part of that foresight practice mm. that you realize that you may be headed here but things will emerge along the way and it needs to allow those things to change you um, you go to the supermarket and you have a, a, a set agenda for what it is you're going to have for dinner and they don't have what you want to cook so you have to change um, and I think that's possibly one of my big learnings that we have to apply similar principles. We, we need to have a, a, a direction, a vision, a sense of where we're going, but we need to be able to move and shift as, as things unfold around us. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is such a good point that you made about having an open mind. I remember many years ago reading one of those bumper stickers that said uh, the mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open and makes makes perfect <laughs> sense, right? I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's true. Uh, and, and also on the article, you, you, met, you, you, you put something that requires an open mind. You had the audacity to suggest including the F word in marketing and F, <laughs> F here for foresight. How can we include F next to the four piece? And I mean, let's, let's just simulate. Let's assume that you, are, you have now been commissioned to create a course about foresight in marketing. And using, using the tools that uh, we had described on, on the article, CLA, Horizon Scanning, Futures Wheel, Harmon Fan, and Scenarios, where, where could we possibly merge those tools with a marketing practice? Where do you think that the, the biggest opportunities are? Or perhaps... Uh, not only opportunities to improve the marketing profession and discipline, but also opportunities to how can I how can I say in a, in a better way how how can we minimize some of the deficiencies of marketing? Mm. This is not to bag marketing, but it's to bag the short sightedness, the short termism that seems to prevail. And I think what you've just said about all of those tools, it's back to fit for purpose. In the same way that. 
we will choose a particular tool in, in the garden or uh, we'll have a particular tool that's used for a process on a car. Anything that was when we cook, we're, we're not going to try and turn pancakes with tongs. So we need to look at the, the, the tool itself and what it is that's the goal at the end. So any kind of inquiry, any kind of curiosity needs to have provocations and questions. Therefore, the tool that we use to apply into a, a marketing project or a marketing process, uh, a workshop, whatever it is, needs to be the thing that will help you explore or research or understand or, or uh, take you into the process and find out what you need to know. So one of the first things I would be wanting to do is understand what's what's in the room, who's in the space, what's the conversation that's being had? Do we need to shift mindset and culture before we even go into the rigour of a foresight tool? So you know, it's great to think that we might be able to use scenarios, but if people's expectations of what scenarios are are very different from what a foresight practice might mean, then we need to get people into that futures-oriented mindset. Now, whether that be using something like Harm and Fan because it's a really quick, simple, cool way, really fun way of provoking ideas and forcing people to get the ridiculous ideas out just so that we can start understanding that the ridiculous ideas are the most useful, with apologies to <laughs> James Dator. Uh, but it's about those tools being brought in so that it not only opens up people's mind but opens up that conversation. So you might use something like Harm and Fan to be playful and and, and generate some randomness um, and a little bit of excitement but also to shift the mindset around the expectation that the future is this thing that exists that we are going to get to as a single destination. That also is a nice tool for a warm-up around scenarios. Uh, but with any of this, you're wanting to understand what people's mindset is, of course. Therefore, things like causal layered analysis help us understand more about the people that we might be working with, as well as the projects that we're working on. Uh, one of the, the big things I've, I've learned as a practitioner uh, is the embodied foresight. So knowing that the decisions I make are about myself as a, as a futurist, as a foresight practitioner, not just as another part of, uh, you know, that, that kind of boxing of, of, of um, how we fit ourselves into to different areas. It's bringing my, my whole self, my whole practice to the work that I do, but recognising that not everyone's going to jump into a foresight process or a foresight, use a foresight method in the way that um, someone else might. So the long answer is, Find the tool that does the job that you need to do and make sure that people are on board with that with some good learning, some good sharing as, as a preamble to it. And the short answer is fit for purpose. Scenarios often get associated with, with, with what foresight is and, and when you're doing strategic foresight, it's all about scenario planning. Well, it's not about scenario planning full stop, it's scenario thinking. And scenarios are not the be-all and end-all of foresight in the same way that um, there are certain elements of design or innovation that are not the be-all and end-all of, of design or innovation. You know, the startup is not the only thing that exists in, in the discipline of, or the, the domain of, of entrepreneurship, for example. Um, there are other ways of, of bringing entrepreneurship and innovation into the, the business or the commercial world. So for marketing, one of the things I would be really wanting to do is give people a sense of 
the longer term consequences of the decisions that are being made. Now, whether that is using something like the futures wheel or an impacts wheel simply to show those second and third order consequences and, and how things fall out and have unexpected, unanticipated impacts on other things. Uh, it would simply be reminding people that the decision you make today has consequences in the next few months. And, and sometimes maybe that relates back to deadlines. Uh, you know, we need to get this done because we've got a deadline to meet for this and we've got you know this, this thing that goes on shelf in September and then we've got a follow-up campaign for something else. Yep, that's all very short term. But we seem to be able to think longer term about that. I remember projects being briefed in June and July for Christmas uh, because it needed that kind of a lead time. Uh, and if we can think that far ahead in terms of project planning and deadlines and production lead times and things like that, then why can't we, or, or better still, how can we help ourselves work to longer timelines um, with the other aspects of, of marketing projects? Not just about those deadlines to get something on the shelf, but the consequences of it not getting on the shelf, the consequences of not doing something because it compromises a whole load of other parts of, of the work that we're doing. So the, the, the tools that are in the article, I, I, I won't say they're interconnected, but they can be used independently of one another, but they can also be used as part of a series or as part of a program of activities to help people shift mindset to start with, having a more open view of of the possibilities that can emerge even understanding you know, those tools can help people understand about those possibilities of emerging um, something I love and I, I I probably say this too often but with harm and fan the first time I ever used that was in a class and uh, we found seven ways to cannibalism by 2050 <laughs> and I hope not to be there by that time. <laughs> and, and what was so ridiculous about that was, okay, not just the ridiculous ideas, which are the most useful, but it was the, the ridiculousness of not just one, but seven ways to cannibalism. And so we then had to look back into ourselves and say, why have we got this dark perspective? What is generating that? So we then looked at the content we had as part of the fan and looked at the pathways and realised that some of our assumptions and biases were playing out in that and so all of this helps us uncover all of the those those little factors that we we seem to dismiss but actually have a bigger impact on the decisions we make that again is about you know, what are the mistakes you make what are the things that you learn but I, I look back on so many projects and think oh I thought that was really cool and exciting at the time and you know look at that and something I worked on through Swinburne as a research project was some research to inform the plain packaging legislation so it was using foresight methods to think about what what might happen or, or what are the possibilities from that plain packaging legislation for cigarettes. And so it forced not just myself to do the work that needed to be done, but it brought up conversations amongst the, amongst the rest of the research team about the possibilities that might be emerging from a shift in legislation alone and what might have even prompted the you know, responses from the tobacco producers uh, and the cigarette manufacturers. Uh, we, we were trying to preempt um, responses from those organisations as much as we were around the consequences around legal and, and, and political issues. So time frame is a big thing in marketing, you know, having a longer term time frame. Now, obviously, we understand that things have to get into the market, things have to be produced. But maybe if we thought more deeply about why we're doing something, and this is a direct 
connection back to human-centered design or even what's being talked about as beyond human-centered design. Um, it's it's about saying, well, what, what's the role of this? What's the purpose of this? Down the track, will we regret this? Down the track, will we go, what were we thinking? I saw a, a, a video recently about 90s makeup, lots of glitter, lots of little hair clips from that kind of early 90s raver techno period and thought, gee, what were we thinking? But do we look back on things like that that we've done at a marketing level and think, oh, you know, what were we thinking? That That was a really bad idea. Um, sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't actually learn from that. We don't take the time to reflect on the decisions that we made. You, you touched on short-termism in the industry, and I think that we can all agree that that's definitely a big problem in marketing. And we all sort of suffer from that presentitis, you know, being too busy in the present while ignoring the future. And you kind of touched on that as well, Bridget. So, you know, you, you spoke about how we can start creating more space within organisations to sort of start these conversations and the tools that you're using. So maybe just to go backwards a little bit, just for anyone who is, you know, future thinking 101 new organisation trying to create that space for the very first time. Could you tell us a little bit about those tools that you mentioned and where you would start to open those conversations? Opening the conversation needs to be considered almost a not just a strategic piece but a tactical piece who's involved in that conversation Mm. one of the things that I see a lot is a vision from a larger organization or senior leadership teams being supported by people who are in, in junior roles and then at the middle level of the organization there isn't buy-in to make change so in opening up those conversations it's not about the right people, but it's about getting people in the room who will be able to share that conversation, to grow that conversation. Tools in particular, you know, specific tools. Again, Harman Fan is a really lovely, easy tool to deploy that starts the conversation about the things that you say, well, how would that happen? oh, I can see a pathway to that happening. Uh, Because of the way the tool works, it allows people to contribute really random, fantastical ideas over a a reasonably short time frame. So it's usually only used over a 20-year time span. And given that relatively recently we were still working with 20-year strategies, that 20-year time frame gives us five-year blocks to think about what might happen in this five years and what might happen in that five years. So that certainly opens up that more imaginative and creative perspective Um, and it's an easy tool to use. Uh, What it then needs is some elegance around understanding the consequences of that Um, and what I particularly like about it and it's something I've had a a brief conversation with a couple of colleagues with is using harm and found at the beginning of a process just to open up that possibility space and challenge conventional thinking around the future being one place in space or time and then doing other projects using other futures tools and doing a harm and fan process again and just seeing if there's been a shift having people understand that their minds have been expanded simply over the the course of a few days or a few weeks of exploring. Reading is fundamental to all of this as well. So not being afraid to dip into books and publications that are out there. CLA or causal aid analysis is a crucial tool in understanding those deeper levels. It's not necessarily something that you're going to jump to first. It depends on 
what the organisation is that you're dealing with, what kind of, what is the culture of the organisation, how willing are they to participate in something that can be very deep in terms of inner work as well as examining the, the, the culture and the beliefs and the value sets as well as the myths and metaphors within that organisation because it can be quite confronting. Uh, a futures wheel or an impact wheel uh, will help organisations um, start to ask questions of each other because the, you work as a team. Ask questions of each other about why you think something might happen or why you think something might not happen. Um, so anything that allows people to be challenged. And and the, the other thing that I, I say a lot with any kind of work is if you change the time horizon that you're working to, you're starting to ask questions about things that may happen because you, you can only anticipate them. So instead of looking at, um, you know, we're looking at getting this into the market right here, right now. All right, imagine that five years from now. That prompts a conversation, well, we don't know what's going to be happening. Like, no, but what might be happening? Let's look at what is traveling around the surface. And I don't mean trends because trends can be difficult. Uh, they, they're, they're a beast all of themselves. But you can certainly look at those weak signals or early indications of shifts at a cultural or sociocultural level and also a political level. Beautycast is the Marketing Mag podcast series brought to you by Content Brains and presented by Marketing Mag. Futurecast is produced by Joanne Davies, Head of Content Brains and Publisher of Marketing Mag. And Jazz Giuliani, Editor of Content Brains and Marketing Mag. Our executive producer is Sergio Brodsky, with original music and audio production by Sam Boone. If you want further details on our podcast or our guests, please visit the episode notes in this podcast. Remember to subscribe to Futurecast so you never miss an episode.